Welcome to the Pro Project Podcast with Pro Project Bookkeeping. This is your host, Darrell Brown, bringing you bookkeeping tips and tricks to make your project finances run a little smoother. We have another great interview lined up for you today. I'm especially excited because there's a lot of advice going around about doing what you love as a part of your career or business. But what does that actually mean from a business and financial standpoint? How do you do what you love and make a good income from it? To answer this, I have my guest, Lydia Grossoff. Lydia is the creative director of Expresso Design. Expresso Design has been in business for 12 years. I want to get her insights into being a creative entrepreneur. I'm going to let her introduce herself, but first I want to read a quote of Lydia's. As an entrepreneur, I also know firsthand what it takes to create an authentic and prosperous business. Lydia, please introduce yourself and tell us what you mean by that quote. Thanks, Sorrell. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Hi, everyone. I'm Lydia Grossov, uh, founder and creative director of Expresso Design, caffeine for your branding. Um, I've been in business for uh, 12 years, as um, Darrell mentioned, and I think that a part of that and, and, and part of sustaining that business is the fact that I'm authentic. I am who I am. If I talk to my clients on the phone, if I talk to you on the phone, uh, on an email, I my personality is always going to be the same. Um, I don't have any hokey uh, sales lines or or any uh, any I don't know funky packages. I don't have any anything that's out of uh, the or- ordinary or unusual uh, that would set off any red flags uh, to anyone. So I talk to my clients. I like to get to know them, uh, get to understand their businesses and their objectives and their goals, and try to connect with them on that business level because I'm, I'm a business owner myself and I understand uh, the challenges of running a business, of staying on deadlines, staying within budget, that there are budgets and why budgets matter. Um, They matter for everybody, right? We need to prioritize and and I understand that sometimes we want the whole world, we wanna do it all, but we just can't. So I try to meet uh, clients in between, you know, try to figure out what is their ultimate goal, what can we really do within their budget and, and meet them halfway and try to get them as much as they need with, you know, within those parameters. And I think that being authentic plays a big role in that is it, making that connection with clients, uh, building that trust because you're not going to build trust if you're not being authentic, if you're not being transparent, if you're not being honest, if you're not being just trustworthy and 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 you're consistent, right? You have to be consistent. So all of that goes into that authenticity, right? All of those aspects play into being authentic to build that trust with your clients. Um, most of my business, most of my business is referral based. Um, it really is. Uh, a trust thing, right? And I've had some clients that I've had for a little over 10 years now, uh, which I think is saying a lot because they feel comfortable with me. I don't work, I don't work with all of my clients on a daily basis, like every day, day in, day out, 
some clients have um, are very seasonal. They have events and certain things that I help them out with uh, specific times of the year. I don't hear from them, but I know that at that right time when they need me, they're going to be connecting with me because they're also busy with other projects. So, um, and there are some clients that I do work with day in and day out. So there has to be that element of trust and that authenticity to, to keep your clients uh, coming back. And they know that I'm going to be here. That's another aspect is I've been in business for 12 years. I'm not going anywhere. They know that they can rely on me. If we haven't spoken in six months and they just, you know, come in out of the blue with another project that they need help with, I'm here for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely understand that in the terms of being authentic and making sure that their needs are handled, but also being yourself and presenting yourself as you are, as you're working with them. And I think it creates a sense of comfortability with the client, which is obvious because as you say, some of them have been working with you for 10 years. So, so yeah. that's pretty, pretty amazing. I want to delve into how you actually got started. And I love the idea that you're in a design field, you're essentially doing what you love, doing what you love, and you're, you know, getting paid for it. You built a business around it that's successful. So I want to start off with how did you get into this business? What inspired you to actually create Espresso Design? Okay. <laughs> that's a that's a long do you want the short answer or the long answer? <laughs> Whichever one works for you. The long answer is probably much more interesting than the short one. So I'd yeah. love to hear. <laughs> okay. Well the, the long answer it is. Uh, I come from a family of creatives. Uh, my mom's a big Martha Stewart style person before Martha Stewart was even famous. Like who who knew Martha Stewart when I was in grade school? But <laughs> I knew my I knew my mom. And um, bear with me here for a second. My phone's ringing on my computer. Sorry about that. Um, So my mom just, my mom was a stay-at-home mom with four kids and not a big budget. So my mom had to get creative (laughs) on weekends. And well, she was already creative, right? But she had to get even more creative on weekends and especially during summer vacation to keep four kids out of her hair and busy. So we always had some sort of days long, like week long art project that she would assign us on, on summer vacations. Uh, oh, you know, let's make uh, plaster statues of the Disney characters. And then each one of you paint them whichever way you want to. <laughs> let's embroider pillowcases. <laughs> now let's learn how to sew and let's make macrame potholders. <laughs> <laughs> you name it we we did it all uh, growing up and and my mom taught me how to sew and knit and crochet and cook and paint and 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 do all of that and uh i have an aunt who paints so who used to she's um much older now retired but she used to paint um porcelain and teach porcelain painting uh, so i just i come from this family of makers and creatives. So I think it was kind of uh, inevitable that I ended up in this, in this field, even though my siblings aren't in creative fields. um, It kind of was inevitable that one of us was going to be uh, a professional creative. And that kind of just paved the path of of what I chose to do in life where, because that's what I knew how to do. 
So it was just, it just seemed natural, seemed like a natural choice to go into design. Although graphic design is much different than knitting or crocheting and sewing, but it all kind of feeds from that um, same love and passion of making and creating things. So it looks so, like your mom really fed that creative source and you just really like ran with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's a lot of it is a lot of creativity isn't just, you know, coming up with the next best design. A lot of it is also problem solving. Even when you're knitting and crocheting and sewing, you're solving a problem like how do I want to get this? I have this fabric or I have this thing. I have this piece of design that I need to complete. And how do I make it get to, you know, from point A to point B? So you have, there's a lot of other, um, processes and, and resource management for all of that right mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it, it all kind of is the same thing if you think of it that way because you have materials or you have specific like in terms of graphic design you have content and certain assets that you need to use and you need to make it all come together and solve a, a problem and reach a goal so it's all kind of the same thing so how did you go from, I guess, uh, you know, knitting and sewing as a child in those projects to graphic design to espresso design and, and building that business up? Yeah, so I decided to go to college um, and major in advertising and, and graphic design. And that's what I, that's what I ended up doing. Uh, I actually did some technical classes. I did I did some developing classes in high school. I went to a tech school and I thought that I was going to learn how to do graphic design and I was actually coding for a while. And I was actually, I wasn't bad at it. I was actually a pretty good developer. I did some good coding and then I was like, but this doesn't really get me what I wanted. I wanted like pretty pictures on the computer and that didn't get me what I wanted. Uh, so that's when I decided, well, I think I really what I want to do in college is graphic design and not, you know, not developing classes. So that's how I got from that. There was, there was a little uh, deviation there <laughs> into coding and developing. And then I, I veered back into the design realm, which is what I wanted to do. And um, after college, I got several jobs. I worked at a car magazine. I worked um, at a direct mail company. And then I worked as an art director at a packaging company in Northeast Philly. I was, a, I was the art director there um, for about seven years. And I, I managed a team of four designers there. And then I got a job as a creative director at a pharmaceutical company. So a small pharma company. And I was a creative director there for 12 years. And I started my business alongside my full-time job. And then I took my business full-time. Ah, so essentially a side hustle. And then you switched from a side hustle and went full-time. What, what was the shift that made it go from side hustle to full-time business? Uh, well, I was laid off. <laughs> so it was kind of, I, it was, you know, it was that my, my side hustle business was my safety net. And thank goodness I had that safety net there. Um, but, you know, I really did love my full-time job in farm. I loved the company. It was a small company. It was a startup when I started working there. I loved working there. And then things changed and the company culture changed and, you know, mergers and um, investors and then selling the company and things shifted and the objectives of the company changed and a lot of employees were uh, laid off 
and I was one of them. And then that's what really ultimately led me to think, well, I had my business for a while now. Why don't I just put my efforts in, into that full time? Let's see what happens. And it's, it's done well. Yeah. I, I won't say initial shift. I'm wondering, cause I mean, obviously that's always a thing. Like, obviously you know how to do what you do, but then once you're in business, there are so many other factors that people are like, Oh no, I have to do this now. And I have yeah. to worry about finances and I have to send invoices and I have to, you know, do advertising and marketing like, Oh, so yeah. how did you deal with, with those along with performing the graphic design as well? Yeah. So I think it was hard. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to anybody. You know, it's, it's being an entrepreneur is not for the faint of heart and having your own business is it can be a roller coaster at times. Um, and it was the first few years were a roller coaster. And at times I was thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> Not like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I putting myself through this roller coaster of emotions? Um, but I, I hung in there and stuck in there because it, it was doing well. Um, it was doing much better than, than I expected because um, when I first took it full time, I thought, well, where am I going to get my clients? Because all of the clients that I had until then were all referrals, uh, referral based. I didn't know advertising. I still don't do any advertising really. Um, it really, my business really is 99% referral based. And I thought, oh my goodness, like I've been working at this full time job. I've done zero networking. Where am I going to find new clients? Um, the good thing was that I had a lot of uh, other work colleagues that were also laid off <laughs> and they also went their separate ways, but we worked very well. It was, we worked at a small company. We were a small team and we worked very well together. So there was that trust there. And as everybody went their own way, they also, they found that they needed a designer needed help and they would call on me. And I've also made connections. I started going to networking events, um, and just getting my name out there and starting conversations. I don't have any issues starting conversations with people, <laughs> as you can tell. <laughs> Anywhere I go, I can easily start. Even though my mom brought me up with the don't talk to strangers, I manage to talk to strangers everywhere I go. <laughs> Yeah, I think you realize that once you're in business or freelancing or whatever it is, you have to start getting out there and, yeah. you know, promoting yourself. And Yeah, but I, I really don't. I, you know, I just, I just talk to people and, and I'm myself, right? I've always been a talker. I used to, you know, we get the parent-teacher meeting in first grade, second grade, third grade. It's like, she's doing great, but she talks too much. <laughs> So, but I'm also a good listener. So that's why I can also, I have a good relationship with my clients because I really, I think that one thing that makes me stand out from a lot of other designers and other small businesses is that I, I really like to know my clients in depth. I'm, I have a very high touch business, right? I, I work very closely with my clients hand in hand. And if they're, they're calling me, I try to call them as back as soon as possible. If I'm not able to answer the phone on the spot, I try to answer emails um, as, as soon as possible, because I think that really is part of what builds good relationships is showing that I am reliable and I'm there. And if I can't take care of that need right at the moment, I will at least shoot them a quick email and say, I got this. 
give me a couple of days or however long I need to get back to you. And I think that that just gives people reassurance as opposed to when you sent that email, somebody didn't answer it for five days. Did they even get it? Are they ever getting back to you? You know, it happens to all of us. I think we're all overloaded with emails and calls. Uh, but I think it really, the customer service part of the business is really important, especially, especially if you have a high touch business with your clients, a high touch relationship with your clients. And if, if you, your business relies on referrals, I think you really need to build those relationships authentically. And part of that is being reliable. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes to creating your value as well. I think so many people think the value is just in what you deliver, but how you deliver that is important as well. And I think that's what gets you over, obviously, um, you know, with your clients. Yeah, absolutely. And, and because the creative business, creativity and, and design isn't cut and dry. And, and a lot of it is subjective, right? Because I may design something that I think is award-winning, but it's not going to solve my client's pro problem or they hate it, you know? So it really is a lot of it is getting to know the client, getting a feel for their exp expectations and setting expectations uh, and reaching their goals. So you're not always going to you know, design something groundbreaking, but it needs, it, what it really needs to do, it needs to work, right? It needs to solve a problem and still be um, just visually appealing in it, and it needs to work. So I think that a, a lot of that um, goes to paying attention, to, you know, listening to your client and listening to their needs and really paying, paying attention, even though I, I am a, a talker. <laughs> I, I've learned that you, you need to listen to people uh, and really understand um, their needs. And I think that, that that really builds great relationships. It builds on that trust factor and it keeps clients coming back and it, and it builds, uh, it builds your business, right? It keeps your, it keeps feeding your business. Mm -hmm. One area I definitely have to ask about is that I know you specialize in pharmaceutical and healthcare design specifically. And I know the prior company you worked for was in this realm, but as a like solo entrepreneur, just starting out, you're dealing with this client base. How did, how did that work out? initially like I definitely find it interesting you're being a creative person and I guess most people wouldn't consider ph the pharmaceutical and healthcare industries to be creative but mm -hmm. obviously they have creative needs so how was that initial communication a letting them know hey this is me this is my my own business now and I'm here to service your needs and how did those initial relationships work out um, so the initial, the initial relationships that I've had, um, or, you know, my, my business is kind of built on that. Um, I started getting um, more pharma and healthcare related clients because of my full-time job. Um, I actually did have help from my former um, employers. So um, they were a, a small, like I said, a small startup company when I started working for them. And they would show up at, at conventions and events and um, uh, competitors and, and other um, 
other associates or other relationships that they had at, at these uh, conferences and conventions would come up to them and say, hey, you know, we love your marketing pieces. We love your sales pieces. Who's doing the design for you? And, and how can you even afford this? Because you know, I was delivering agency quality work and, you know, all these people that they were talking to knew that they were small and that they had a small budget and how did they manage this? So my bosses would actually tell them and say, our creative director does this and you can hire her on her free time. Oh. So, <laughs> so this is how it started. Again, this was 12 years ago, actually more now. Um, so this, this started way back then and so i started doing a few things on the side and um everybody was pleasantly um you know surprised pleased with with the with the end results and with the pricing because you know if you hire an agency they're going to charge you a lot more right because they have a lot more overhead and they, you know, they need to cover their costs. So that's, that's another thing that you have to think about. And I know that's one of the topics we're going to be discussing on, on this um, podcast is how do you stay afloat, right? You, you need to make sure that you're making a living wage. So agencies have a higher overhead and they're going to charge more. So I, I, in that sense, I was needing, um, demands of smaller businesses that didn't have those budgets to hire those agencies and i was helping them you know stand out from the competition or at least be on the same par as their competition but within their smaller budget range so yeah so, i definitely want to address that because i know you know a big thing in the freelance realm and i think especially in the creative freelance realm is they don't feel that they always get the fees that they deserve for their work at times they feel like they're being they're being lowballed by a client but you know depending on how well they they're, they're doing sometimes they kind of have to take that lowball offer so how did you navigate that initially like being a free, freelancer or, or or having a side gig and i think you kind of knew better that in comparison to agencies they you would have a much lower price but then making sure you know that you're getting the price that's uh, the fee that you deserve rather than something that's lower than that. Right. So when, you know, when I first started and I had it as, you know, just uh, my side business, I definitely wasn't charging um, enough, but it was fine. It was fine for me at the time, you know, and, and, um, and I didn't realize that I wasn't charging enough until I took my business full time. And then I started doing, the accounting myself <laughs> right? and, and putting uh you know um pen to paper and say oh wow i can't pay my bills with this i am not charging what i should be charging and and it really is a challenge especially when you're beginning um and and when i took my business full time it was hard I had my established clients and that was, and that was fine. And I was still working with them within um, the pricing that I had already, already the arrangement that I already had with them. But in getting new clients, it was, um, it was hard to build up the confidence to charge more. It was hard finding the clients that were willing to pay more. Right. Um, so I think that, that the one main tip that I have is 
I already knew who my, my core client base was. So it was healthcare and pharma. That was something that I was comfortable with. I had been working with that for already 12 years in-house and on the side. And that was definitely um, an arena that I, I still wanted to focus with. It doesn't mean I can't work with other businesses, and I still do. So, you know, I have financial advisors and lawyers and photographers and business coaches. Um, so I do have a, a wide range of clients, but my core client base is healthcare and pharma. So I knew that that, that was something that I needed to focus on. But when you're out there and you start your business, you start hearing advice from other business owners and you start rethinking and, 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 and you start second guessing yourself. Like, should I really be doing this? And where am I going to find these clients? And why am I not finding these clients? Because most of my healthcare and pharma clients, they're not at, at networking meetings. They have full-time jobs and they're in, in, you know, corporations and they're in their offices while everybody else is in networking meetings. So it was just a matter of finding where my core clients were and how to get in front of them, right? So I think that my advice to, um, to any other designer who's starting out or a small business, if you have a specialty and you're, you, know, you find that that is what you really want to specialize in and you want to niche, I think that niching is helpful because it, it, it draws that type of business to you. So even though the first few years were a little tough to find like, where are my clients? How do I get in front of them? Um, stick to it. If that is the niche that you want to, to work in, find where your clients are and get in front of them and get to meet them where they are. But, um, you know, just stay focused. And, and when you promote your business for that specific niche, you'll notice that people will remember you for that. And when they find someone that is looking for someone like you in that niche, the business will come to you. You know, I don't know if I explained that well, that sounds a little convoluted, but when you niche yourself and you promote yourself for a specific niche, people will remember you for that. And, and that will attract that sort of business to you. You know, yeah, I think it's very kind of similar to the, I mean, to a degree, the influencer culture that's out here, that if you really put the message out and you put it out in the right way on the right platforms, then people will recognize you as the go-to for that particular specialty. And yeah. I mean, I think that's amazing that you did that pretty early on. Like, I can definitely understand what you're saying in terms of when you first started, it looks like you you had that specialty early on, but of course you're listening to other business owners. And usually the thing is grab as much business as you can. Don't say no to, you know, money or whatever that's coming in, but that's also kind of a way to actually not do well in business because you're taking everything that's coming. You're not really putting systems in place for right. a certain set of clients and you, you yourself end up all over the place. So the work that you may be providing might not be as good. Exactly. So when you specialize, you're really able to build systems around it. And I think that's a really, really important thing for freelancers or even business owners to realize very early on that putting those systems in place will really be the thing that sets you apart from, from a competitor and really make you shine in a particular specialty or industry. 
Yeah. So. I, yeah. I mean, and as, as a designer, like I mentioned, I can design for any type of business and I do work with other, other types of businesses. Um, you know, I am currently working with a financial advisor right now and, and, you know, I've just launched their website and designed their logo and I'm working with another business specialty. But, um, you know, it, I think that having that clear image paints a clear picture in other people's minds and they, and they they store that in that little file in their brain <laughs> in their little mental filing cabinet and they're like oh pharmaceutical and healthcare designer so when that when something like that arises they're like oh i know just the person because there really aren't many other people out there who are saying that most designers that I know are just saying, well, I design for anybody and for everything. And yes, yes, we can do that. But you know, if you're, uh, and this is, this comes from my farm experience as well. If you have a product and you say that you cure everything, nobody's going to remember you for anything. <laughs> so, you know, your product, and we did have a product at the company that I worked for that was pretty good for curing a lot of things. Like it's, it was, a, it was like a topical product. We worked with dermatology. It was a topical product. It was great for healing multiple different, you know, different types of skin irritations and wounds and things, but doctors never remembered it for anything until we niched that product for one specific thing and then doctors remembered it but then prescribed it for other things so so it's it's the same practice for for businesses in general i mean you can be an accountant but in, if you say that you're an accountant specifically for small businesses or specifically for tech companies then that's the business that you're the business type that you're going to attract and people are going to remember you for that um, and, and it makes you stand out. You're not just any accountant. You're an accountant for tech firms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Definitely sets you apart from, from the standard. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And of course you're an accountant. You can do accounting for anybody. So, you know, uh, so it's the same principle and, and you're just painting, uh, um, a, a more direct picture in people's minds so that they can remember you for something specific. So I think that's how, yeah. So I think that that's how, um, you know, I started and I stuck to that. I never really, I never deviated from that. And, and businesses take time to pick up momentum and, you know, go and I just stuck with it. Um, I did take other jobs, obviously, that weren't just healthcare um, related, but I stuck with that. And then my healthcare and pharma business uh, and started to grow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in terms of that, I definitely want to talk about in terms of you sticking it out and getting to that point where your business um, grew. And I definitely want to talk about you've hit on the financial uh, aspect a few times in terms of budgeting and accounting. Uh, for instance, uh, with accounting, I guess that's when you realized you weren't uh, charging enough. So I, I wonder, like, what kind of financial systems, whether it's like actual accounting systems or just maybe an Excel sheet that you put in place to really analyze what was going on, and how did you come to the decision like, hey, you know what? I'm not charging enough. I got to, you know, I got to do a little bit better. Yeah. So even though I'm, I'm creative and, you know, talk about sewing, crocheting, cooking and all that, <laughs> I'm also really good at math. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and I know what bills I have to pay. And how, 
have to pay them. So uh, yes, and I am very um, analytical and I'm pretty type A. Uh -huh. So <laughs> I have spreadsheets for everything. <laughs> um, and I think that as a business owner, you do, as a, especially as, a, as an entrepreneur in, in the startup business, you really have to have a handle on your money. And I know that people, you know, there's, there are those mantras out there, you know, do what you love and the money's going to come and, you know, you got to spend money to make money, but you know what, if the money's not coming in, you shouldn't be spending it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> there are specific things. And this is like, you know, those mantras are great, but they don't really work in practice if you want to stay afloat. Right. So you have to be smart with your money. Yes, do what you love, but make sure you're making enough money to pay your bills, right? Because this is a business after all. You know, if you want to, you know, have another creative outlet, and, and this is one thing that I, there are some things that I really, really love doing, and everybody tells me, oh, you should. You know, I love cooking. And I'm a foodie. And I do go all out. And I haven't had much time now because I'm really putting a lot of my energy into my business. But um, people will always tell me, you have to open a restaurant. I'm like, no, <laughs> because then I would hate cooking. <laughs> or I would never do it for myself, right? I would end up cooking all day for everybody else, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to cook dinner for myself anymore. Mm -hmm. That's really mm -hmm. where my creative out, my other creative outlet is, is cooking, like coming, conjuring up these crazy food ideas and then just making them for myself and saying, hey, this came out as good as I thought it would. So, um, the the do what you love ha comes with um, a disclaimer, right? Um, don't take something that you really love and helps you. That's like your zen, and and try to make money from that. Uh, I don't think you're either not going to make enough money to live, or you're going to end up. That's not going to be your zen anymore, and it's going to totally kill that for you, right? Because a business is a business and you do have to like what you do and be good at what you do to, to be successful in a business. But I don't think that um, if you take that, you know, like, Oh my gosh, I love this you're gonna <laughs> for free every day for everybody <laughs> and you're not going to be able to pay your bills. Mm -hmm, I, I don't basically, know. Basically, yeah, it's a very expensive is, hobby at this point. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know if it. I. I. I tend to separate those things. That's just how I work. I do. You know, I've been designing and creating my entire life. So I do have uh, different compartments of creativity that I do as hobbies and my zen, and then what I do as as my business and i think because i started off as a graphic designer right out of college that's graphic design has always been my business and my and my breadwinner right so um but it, that doesn't mean that i don't like you know what i do i do like it but you also can't get lost in your love and your passion and not focus on the business aspect of it. You really have there, there. It really you have to have a balance there, with the do what you what you love, but be smart about it, and you know, and and make sure that you're making enough to pay your bills, that you're not sinking yourself into a, a hole. I wow, I I totally I I totally love that. So um, you have to balance the passion with the rational, right? And then if there's something that like 
then like sink all of your crazy passion into hobby because we need to take a break, right? And you need to have something that that is going to revitalize you and make you more productive in your in your workday so that you can continue to produce good work and and, and make a living. Um, so I, I think that's that's one advice that I have for creatives. Just don't lose your head <laughs> in your business and, and or in your passion. Find that balance between the passion and the rational to make them work for you and so that you can run a successful business. Like this actually reminds me of something I was just reading the other day in a forum where someone that is in a creative industry was just expressing that, you know, she's doing the work that she loves, but is getting to a point or it's been at a point for a while where she's been experiencing burnout. And people were trying to advise her on the post as to why and what to do to kind of get past it. But I think what you're saying actually explains a lot when you're really giving a lot of that creative energy for what you do for a living, then I think it kind of zaps you a bit more mentally when you're doing that so much. And it just seemed like she was at the end of her rope and wanted to take a little bit of a break. Right. Revamp and restructure. Right. When you take what's your passion and your zen and you try to make money from it you're killing your zen and your passion right you're killing that that thing that that's supposed to be restorative for you uh you know you're you're killing that and and you're probably also not making enough money because you love that so much that you just want to share it with the world and you're not thinking about you know how to how to make a living and 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 making a living also means making sure that you have enough for retirement make sure that you have enough to pay for your health insurance because i have to pay for my own health insurance so you have to go to the doctor <laughs> you have to have health insurance and that you have enough to take vacation and take a break because you know you have to make sure that because when you're not working you know at least me if i'm not working i'm not making money so um you know which was that was also hard for me to adapt where you know when i was working in corporate i had like that very structured day and time and and, and if i had vacation scheduled that was it you know i'm not working those days and that's not how it works when you have your own business right you're still working while you're, you're vacation you have to find a way to turn things off for a while but still keep an eye on your business while you're on vacation right but you also have to make sure that when you're on vacation because you really want to take time off to recharge that you're going to be able to pay your bills while you have that time off so this all, this all goes where, okay, so you have to take a step back and you have to look at all these numbers and say, okay, can I afford to take, you know, a week of vacation here and a week of vacation there, or a couple of long weekends, you know, you have to take time off. And, and sometimes it's hard to schedule that because when you have a ton of projects coming in and you want to knock them out and you're working long hours, sometimes you're working weekends, you have to make sure that once you get a little breather in between that you take some time off and you recharge because you definitely will burn out and and all of that plays into making sure that you're making enough money to take that time off right and to pay for all the essential things that an employer would be paying for if you had a full-time job so you need to make sure that you're you're covering all of that so you know i think circling back to your original question like how do you do that so you you have to just put everything on a spreadsheet, put 
all of your expenses, your personal, your business expenses, your health insurance. How much do you want to save for retirement? How much vacation do you want to take? Do you want to take two weeks of vacation a year? Do you want to take five? I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking five weeks of vacation a year <clears throat> as long as you plan for it and, and you make room for it financially and, and physically in your business, right? So you have to put all these things out on paper and, and really come up with a plan. And, and a lot of it also comes with just getting more confidence and, and taking that step forward and deciding, okay, I have to charge X amount of dollars for this, X amount of dollars for that. If I want to reach these goals and I want to be able to be comfortable and I want to be able to take at least one vacation a year, this is how much I'm going to have to charge. And you have to just put it out there. You have to take that step forward and, you know, adjust your pricing and, and stick to your guns, but you also have to find the right client base that's, that has the budget for that. You have to make sure that you have the experience to charge that amount of money as well. So there are a lot of factors uh, involved. I certainly had the experience for it. I had, um, I had a little bit of an awakening when I decided that I wasn't charging enough and you know, you get those butterflies in your stomach, had a little bit of anxiety over it when I decided to raise my prices. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose all my clients. I'm not going to get any new clients. And that didn't happen. It, you know, um, I actually started attracting more of the clients that I really wanted to work with. When I actually raised my prices, it was an odd uh, occurrence that, I attracted more of the clients that I was really, um, really projecting to work with. Mm -hmm. I think it goes, there's a perception that goes with raising your prices too, that there is a perceived value in that as well. When you're looking at it from the client, from the client standpoint, if you're charging too low, they're wondering if the work might be, might not yes. be far. So there's right. that issue too, that I think raising your prices actually helps to solve. Yeah. And when you're working with, you know, like mid-sized businesses, if you charge too little, there actually is that perception that you said, if you charge too little, you will actually lose contracts because they'll think, well, there's something wrong here and I'm not getting what I really need to get with this professional that that's not charging enough. Something's missing. <clears throat> so there was that, but you know, also when I raised my prices, I also did, um, I, I also did increase my, I, I increased my game, like my design game, where how I presented things to client and, and more deliverables to clients. So that also made a big difference in, in getting those bigger contracts and bigger projects that paid more because I was also delivering more. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. In addition to raising the prices, you also put those systems in place to make sure that you're worthy of that price increase. As right. Well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and essentially also laying out what I exactly was delivering to clients. So being more specific so that they saw the value in what they were really getting from, from that price tag that they were paying or investment, I should say, because it is an investment in their business too. So you have to make sure that they understand, um, you know, what they're investing in. That's a perfect segue, actually. So, you know, obviously you work in design and I'm assuming your clients, you know, they, they love your design, but they really want to get a large 
ROI, you know, return on investment for their marketing and branding efforts. So how do you discuss that with them in terms of what you provide, their budgeting, and then what they expect the uh, marketing efforts to, to yield at the end of a campaign? Right. So with my business, it's um, depending on what I'm designing for the client, it's really hard to put analytics on it. So if I'm <clears throat> if I'm designing uh, a logo for a client, rebranding a client, there really isn't a way to measure analytics on a new logo. Right. Um, I mean, there are ways to, to measure right? how what's the risk receptivity of this logo? Is it drawing more attention? Uh, but it also depends on other systems that the client's going to have in place in promote them, promoting themselves. So it's not an isolated thing that we can measure on, right? But they also have to realize that they're going to have to do a series of other things to promote themselves. So again, there's no metric on a logo, on the logo itself, but in, you know, some clients realize, some clients that I work with are startups and they want to make an impact right out of the gate. Other clients have been in business for a while and their logo is dated or it doesn't represent them where they are now. You know, maybe they've been in business for 10 or 20 years and it doesn't represent who they are now. Right? And, and it doesn't connect with their core client base uh, or it doesn't have... Um, the image that they want to present to the world. And we're talking logos don't have to be literal. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't, but they, they're just, you know, some companies want a more prestigious logo or something to that effect. So that's, you know, they're really going to measure it by the receptivity of the logo. And I, I help businesses build brands that are easy to recognize and that are memorable. So, you know, more, uh, I use more, uh, a more cleaner design that people can connect with immediately and, and remember. So that I think counts, um, you know, there is no metric on that, yeah. but I think mm -hmm. that that's what makes the impact. It's the impact of the logo on, on the client base and, and it's more of a perceived value metric than more of a financial. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and depending on the clients and the projects, um, you know, if I'm designing sales pieces or marketing pieces for a pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical company, it really is going to reflect on how, um, these pieces are being received by physicians and if they're in, if their sales increase, but it also depends on their sales staff and how they're delivering that message. So there are so many different components involved there. It's not the same as a website that you're, you know, just gonna, you're gonna have a lead page and you're gonna have this whole marketing funnel and then you have all the metrics and, you know, your Google analytics and things like that. So it's, um, it really is in, in delivering memorable uh, um, logos and imagery and marketing and sales pieces, but it's also making sure that the client has other systems in place to make that successful because I'm only one component. You know, um, I'm not a whole agency. I'm not working a whole huge marketing plan that's going to cover advertising and the whole scope of things for them. Um, I can be designing a logo, a website, stationary and some marketing and sales pieces and we'll get systems in place and have them connected with, you know, uh, doing 
email marketing campaign and doing social media, but I'm not doing those components. I'm, I'm working with other professionals that are delivering that. So it's a matter of also helping clients get that whole package together. So the ROI aspect is a little complicated, but they also already understand. Most of the clients I work with understand that, that, that what I'm delivering is unique and it's and it's some of it isn't measurable but if we couple it with other campaigns and, and other efforts that that those items are going to be measurable so i didn't have a direct no 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 that's, perfect. And, it, that's perfect. and it really is it really depends on a per project basis and, and what we're designing because i can be designing packaging uh for for a client and most of them are you know prescription uh products and there really is no way to measure all. It's not something that's like, you know, uh, over the counter or consumer based. It really is prescription driven and the packaging doesn't matter as much. Right. So it really depends on the project. And, and so we discuss ROI and what their efforts need to be to get to their goals on a per project basis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just the interesting part because everyone kind of feels that at the end of any kind of a project, even if it is creative, that there should be some financial benefit. So I always think it's curious when, you know, you know, it's, there isn't going to be a direct financial benefit. How do you communicate that to the client and say, look, there's not going to be, you know, your logo is not going to give you, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in sales because it's a logo. But when people right. think of you or when they see this logo, they'll think of you and that in and of itself is a benefit. Right. And, and, you know, the client has to be consistent on their end um, because the logo really doesn't mean anything. Um, if your if your service is terrible, you know, <clears throat> if your customer service is horrible. So uh, I do work with clients in explaining and, and teaching them that it's a whole package deal, right? So while this logo isn't necessarily going to bring you all these sales, but all these other efforts and things that back it, will just build your credibility. So it helps, you know, it helps you build the credibility because now you have this legitimate, well-designed logo, but you have to back it with all of these other things so that it actually means something and gets the, you know, the recognition, um, that your company gets the recognition for the whole package. And, and, and yeah, and, and a lot of it is also, um, a way that clients would measure some of that ROI is, are they on par or better than their competition visually? Do their pieces, are they, are they as attractive as a larger competitor or more attractive? And that will help them um, rationalize that investment and the pieces. They want to be on par. They want to uh, be able to compete with um, either the same level or higher level competition. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you have been providing to that to them very well for the last past 12 years. <laughs> I try to. <laughs> that is my goal. <laughs> no, I definitely love that. I mean, it, and then I love the idea that as a business owner, you're able to speak to them on that level as well. And I think a lot of times, at least when creatives first start out, that's that component that's missing. What are they, is it the creative left brain and then like the business right brain? Mm -hmm. Like the left brain is definitely working, but then the right brain kind of needs to catch up. Yeah. And once you but, get to that. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. And you also can't take it personally, right? Because a lot of creatives put a lot of passion into their design. And then when, <laughs> inevitably, you know, you learn to, to, to get some thick 
skin uh, working in the business because you hear the darndest things sometimes in, in regard to your design. You think you've designed this best thing in the world and then the client looks at it and like, oh, what is this? And you know, you, you kind of get shot down. So you have to leave your ego at the door. Uh, you know, this isn't about you and, and your, you know, most amazing creation in the world. Of course, we all want to design that award-winning design that the client's going to love and it's going to make the client a lot of money. But that isn't always the reality, right? Um, and, and you can't take things personally. And as, as long as you can keep that separate and understand, you know, if a client makes a, uh, you know, a comment, don't take it personally and try to understand where that comment is coming from and, and, and understand what their needs really are so that you can hone in on it and, and refine that design. Um, you know, I think that a lot of it is also, you know, keeping the business from, from the emotional uh, separate in that aspect. Mm -hmm. All right. So this has been an amazing podcast. I love talking to you about the aspects of being a creative uh, and the graphic design realm that you're in, that you've been in business for this long and hearing that you specialize with your clientele. Um, I guess from my background, I mean, from my perspective, since I'm in like the accounting and bookkeeping realm, hearing your budgeting tips and definitely make sure you're getting uh, paid for your creativity yes. is something that I definitely love to hear. So, all right, we are going to close out. I thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I think your insights are definitely spot on. Um, I want to ask you to give a closing thought to listeners. What would be your, I think I might have an idea of what you might say, but what is your closing thought to listeners? <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Do, am I supposed to be focusing on the clients or to other designers? Uh, I mean, you could do one or the other or both if that's, uh, if that works for you. Okay. Well, you know, for business owners in general, I, I, I highly recommend being authentic, being transparent and, and making that personal collect connection with your clients, right? Because especially if you're working more one-on-one -on -one and you're not selling to the masses, right? Um, I think that that component really matters in building relationships and really getting to understand your clients and their needs and being able to fulfill them, right? Um, for clients and, and other small to medium-sized business owners out there looking to work with designers, um, talk to designers, look at their work, look at their portfolio, and, and just get to understand a little bit about them and see if you make a connection with them. Because having that connection with the creative professional that you're working with is really important to better reach the, you know, each other's goals, right? To, to get to your bottom line is um, hiring a professional that really understands you and your business. And if anyone wants to reach out to you, how would they find you? Um, they can just go to my website. That's expressodesign.com. So it's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-O design.com. I'd like to thank Lydia for being a guest of the Pro Project Podcast. You can learn more about Lydia and Espresso Design at expressodesign.com. As always, if you like what you heard today, you can email us at info at proprojectbooks.com. 
Next week, November 13th, will be our final Pro Project podcast episode of 2019. Please join us as we close out our podcast year. I'd like to thank Lydia for joining us again today. This is Darrell Brown signing off. And in the words of Lydia, be authentic, be transparent, and make that personal connection with your clients.